feel less sweaty. Our apparel partner, Corsa, serves up so many great shorts options. Corsa is dedicated to delivering original performance-driven apparel designed by runners for runners. Get $20 off your order at roadrunnersports.com AMR. Stress less, live better with Calm. Go to calm.com AMR. For a limited time, get 40% off your Calm premium subscription with hundreds of hours of programming, unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and new content added every week. Start thriving this summer. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. Join today at thrivemarket.com AMR to get $20 off your first order and a free gift. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Tish Hamilton. Hello, Tish. Hello, Sarah. How are you today? Good, good. How goes your summer? Well, I am speaking to you today from Reston, Virginia, where my uh, sister and my mother live. Mm. And um, my mother's 93 now. And so she can't really stay alone for a long period of time. And my Mm -hmm. sister went out to visit her son and who just had um, his second baby, their second baby. Yeah. Uh So I'm here. I'm working from my sister's house this week so i could stay with my mother while she's visiting with her her grandchildren oh nice and i take it your sister and mother live close to each other they lived in the same house oh they live in the same house okay i yeah. got confused as to whose her house was i know oh. it's, it's a little confusing <laughs> oh well that's really nice that they um are able to do that that's very nice for your sister yes yeah yeah. Yes, it is. And so to just uh, keep everything interesting, my daughter, who is 16, is here. And so is my boyfriend, who lives in Savannah, Georgia. So he came up also. So we're all here. <laughs> all one big happy family. Exactly. <laughs> the people probably are like, wait, I don't understand how all of this works. Who's Who belongs to who here? I know, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> and I'm the one thing connecting everybody. So right. I'm, I end up you know, being the one person who knows the answer to anything or who's coordinating and that's not stressful at all (laughs) i don't like being the hub make it stop (laughs) i know every mother who's listening to this knows exactly what i'm talking about (laughs) (laughs) oh my god speaking of um 93 year old women uh today is jimmy and rosalind carter's 75th wedding anniversary oh that is so awesome i love that Oh my gosh, I just over breakfast just now, I was reading a quite lengthy article about them in the New York Times. And I mean, oh my gosh, they kept saying how Jimmy Carter would reach his hand over to put his hand on his wife's hand while she was talking. I'm like the cutest thing. It's so sweet. Oh my gosh. And that he met her on the day she was born. What? Um, yeah, his mother was a nurse and I guess they were maybe, I guess their family must be friends with, with, um, Rosalind's family, the Smiths and said, Oh, you know, the Smiths had a new baby. Let's go meet her. Oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> it's so sweet. He was three. <laughs> uh, um, so anyway, that's just on my mind again, because when we record this, I'm pretty fresh off of breakfast. Uh, So so a little later on today, I am going to be driving my nearly 16-year-old son to day two of his first real job. Um, He is an assistant camp counselor at a local arts camp for the campers will be first through fifth graders and the assistant camp counselors are high schoolers. And so um, he is learning the hard, cold reality of... (laughs) having to pay taxes. Ah. <laughs> He's just like, wait, that's not fair. Wait, why did they tax me at your rate? And what is your rate? And I don't understand. And well, how awesome that he's got a he's got a job at a camp. I mean, that's that's so great. My um my daughter was on track for that mm-hmm. uh, two years ago. She did counselor training mm-hmm. at, at a camp where she had been going for like five or six years so it's a girl mm-hmm. scout camp it was a an away camp right uh-huh, uh-huh. um and and so what summer was that 2019 she did the counselor training she did the lifeguard training she was all set to go for 20 and then you know then the world fell apart and yes uh, 
sadly, the camp has not reopened. Oh, uh, that's I too know, bad. Such a bummer. Such oh, a bummer. Wow, that's in- interesting because even here in you know lockdown Oregon up until I mean we only the mask mandate was only lifted here on July on June thirtieth, um, and still it's not widely adopted. And, you know, that, that they'll, you know, oh, if you're fully vaccinated and you feel comfortable, you can take off your mask. And um, Molly and I are doing our part to normalize it. And so when there are signs like that, we take our masks off. Um, <laughs> um, well, so- I think this was more uh, uh, because of financial situation, not because of um Oh, oh, okay. All right. Okay. Yeah. So this one is um, put on by a nonprofit here called Young Audiences. And back in the day, kids would do Run for the Arts, which was, you know, they'd get pledges from neighbors and family members. And then they, at each of their respective schools, they would run around, you know, um, like a field or a, a square block or something like that to raise money for this young audiences. And so my kids did a good job of doing that back in the day. And now the tables are turned and he's working at their camp. And um, so, oh my gosh, it was so funny. So they have training this week. It is just four hours um, for three days in a row. And he had to take a nap yesterday after he got back (laughs) because it was just so exhausting. I'm like, yeah, welcome to it, guy. And next week when camp really starts, you're going to be working twice as long a work day. (laughs) Don't say anything. Don't say anything. (laughs) Yeah, right, right. Um, so, um, but he is making the princely sum of $14 an hour because that right. is Portland's new minimum wage. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm and so envious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it is really great. And, um, uh, we know a lot of kids who applied for the job and I thought there were, they hired a lot of kids and it turns out they only hired nine. So I feel very honored that John's right. one of them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he's a good kid for the job. And, and it seems like it's uh, now less hot there in Portland than it has oh, been. Yes, yes, yes. Thank, thank the weather gods. It, um, this morning on my run, it was overcast. Like we have kind of this marine layer that sometimes moves in. We are not on the coast. Um, we are on uh-huh. a river, but um, we're about 60 miles inland. And so um, it was probably, I, I never, I don't look at the temperature before I go out because it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And um you know, I mean, certainly if there was snow falling, then I'd change what I was wearing. But, you know, I was going to wear my tank top and shorts no matter what. And it was probably um, mid-60s, maybe 64, 65. Oh, yeah. Actually, now, so, and I, uh, on the other hand, uh-huh. obsess over the weather and looked up your temperature when you went for a run. <laughs> I bet you did not. That's and hilarious. it was 61 degrees. <laughs> 61? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a note. I, I mean... I realize it's only three or four less than what I predicted, but that's a significant difference. I mean, that's almost and, the fifties. Yeah. And uh, so I'll just get competitive and let you know that, <laughs> that it was what was 74 degrees here in Reston this morning. It's now up to 93. <laughs> <laughs> we got in the low nineties. T- we have a big temperature fluctuation. I mean, particularly once this cloud cover burns off uh-huh. um, and it's, you know, super sunny, um, uh, as Molly pointed out the other day, we don't have humidity to kind of mitigate the strength of the sun, uh-huh. you, know, you know, so it's not hazy here when it's sunny. Right. Um, right. Yeah. 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 So, but it's, I think it's only supposed to reach into the eighties today. So um, yeah, it's, it was brutal and frightening and just, so, it was so worrisome. I, it was, oh, I, I can't even imagine. I don't think I've ever been in temperatures as high as you have been in. And I was wondering mm-hmm. like when it got to be in over a hundred, what was the low overnight? Like when you got, when you did yeah. get up in the morning, what was the temperature in the morning? It was a uh, mid to high seventies. Okay. Yeah. So, but um, we typically, like in the winter time, um, it doesn't get super cold here because we have a um, very often a constant cloud cover, and so then that holds down the day's heat. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, but then that high pressure system that was holding that heat and making all the high temperatures that then was also not allowing colder evening weather to come in, and um, uh, it was just. It was truly like something out of a novel. It was like American yeah. War. Or something yeah, I like believe that. it. I mean, it must have, you must have like gone outside and, not, and just nobody's outside. It's kind of oh. weirdly like apocalyptic. Oh, truly, because Portland is just teeming with people at 
all hours of the day and night. There are a million dog walkers and people running and biking and, you know, on skates and on hoverboards and like all this weirdness, you know, motorized skateboards and all this stuff. And there was just no one, just no one. Yeah, it's eerie. Mm-hmm. And I, I, um, you know, here when it's sunny, you want to get outside and, and, you know, that weekend I just sat inside and read a lot and looked outside and like sighed because I'm like, nope, can't go outside. Like even to sit in the hammock was just too draining. Too hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and I'm a, you know, a professional hammock liar. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> Although Even I do not pros couldn't yeah, do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, talking about um, heat and all that good stuff, we're going to be talking about sweat today with our guest, who is Sarah Everts, the author of a Out Next Week on July 13th book titled The Joy of Sweat, The Strange Science of Perspiration. We figure runners sweat a lot. So it's a topic that applies to all of us. Um, Sarah is a science writer based in Ottawa, Canada. And, um, you know, it's a little confusing that my name is Sarah and her name's Sarah, but um, try to keep track. Uh, We will be talking with the other Sarah right after this break. Stay with us. Talk about sweat. For longer runs, I used to wear running capris year-round, no matter the temperature. I even sported capris at the 2012 Boston, which I allude to in this episode, when the mercury reached the 90s. Yikes! Corsa saved me. The Roadrunner sports brand of running apparel, designed by runners for runners, has a wide array of running shorts that prevent the dreaded thigh chafing. Read Chub Rub. There's the hypnotic six-inch shorts, compression-style shorts with a delightfully wide waistband and a hefty pocket on the outside of each thigh, roomy enough to accommodate any size cell phone and several gels. Then there's the Embrace line of track-style shorts, which come in three lengths. Three inches, I sport these on shorter runs, five-inch and seven-inch. The two longer versions prevent thigh chafing without riding up or bunching. Oof, that is so not a good look. The longer ones have large zippered front pockets on each side, and all three have a big zippered back pocket that is, get this, sweatproof. The four-way stretch fabric, a blend of polyester and spandex, is so lightweight and quick drying. It's a dream. You need to experience Corsa for yourself, and we have an amazing exclusive offer for our community. Shop the entire Corsa collection at roadrunnersports.com slash AMR to get $20 VIP reward cash to spend on your first Corsa apparel purchase, plus a free 90-day trial in the Roadrunner Sports VIP program. Ooh. Okay, that's a lot of info, so here's the short version. Go to roadrunnersports.com slash AMR and you get $20 off your first Corsa purchase. As always with Roadrunner Sports, you get free shipping on your order. Don't delay. Right after listening to this episode, scoot over to roadrunnersports.com slash AMR to save $20 on your first Corsa apparel purchase. roadrunnersports.com slash AMR. Summertime has a reputation as an easy living season. Yet for many folks, a more relaxed schedule can make for more stress or leave you feeling oddly out of whack. It's the ideal time to give Calm a try. We're longtime partners with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. The app has so many options to utilize. I use the app so often, it's on the first page of my iPhone home screen. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks, and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. By going to calm.com AMR, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming. With new content added every week, it's easy to understand why more than 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. It helps you sleep more, stress less, and live better. I start my day with Calm, doing the 10-minute daily trip meditation guided by the refreshingly down-to-earth, occasionally witty Jeff Warren. It grounds me, reminding me to feel gratitude and live life in the moment. I love that the app allows me to mark favorite sessions so I can come back to them when needed. For listeners of the show, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash AMR. That's 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library and new content is added every week. Get started today at calm.com slash AMR. C-A-L-M dot com slash AMR. Calm.com slash AMR. Start thriving today. Thrive Market is an online membership-based market on a mission to make healthy living easy and affordable for everyone. 
Thrive Market works directly with each of your favorite organic brands, so you get the highest quality products at the best price with member-only prices. Shop everything from ethically sourced pantry essentials to sustainable meat and seafood to non-toxic cleaning and beauty products. Plus, you can easily shop by diets and values like keto, gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO, fair trade certified, and more. The search and browse functions on the Thrive website make it easy to discover your current favorites and discover new ones. Thrive Market has monthly or annual membership options to suit your lifestyle, delivering what you need so you can spend more time, say, oh, running or doing self-care or a new hobby, you name it. Orders are also shipped for free and delivered with carbon neutral shipping from their zero waste warehouses. I am always amazed at how quickly my Thrive Market orders arrive. I'm a creature of habit, and my favorite topping on my daily breakfast of steel-cut oats, yogurt, and fruit is purely Elizabeth granola. Thrive Market sells nine, nine varieties, including my oh-so-yummy favorite, grain-free coconut cashew. Before I joined Thrive, purely Elizabeth granola was a serious splurge, but at the Thrive price, I can enjoy it every morning. Join today at thrivemarket.com AMR to get $20 off your first order and a free gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash AMR for $20 off your first order and a free gift. Well, welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Sarah, you're a science writer, and I'm curious about what brought you to the topic of sweat. What, what made you want to take on the slightly stinky topic? <laughs> yeah, well, I think like a lot of people, as I've discovered in writing this book, um, I kind of went through life feeling a little bit worried that I might sweat too much. And, you know, so like when I am hiking uh, in the mountains, you know, with a group of friends, I'm always the first person, you know, to start taking off the sweatshirt and, and, and all the clothes. You know, when I do hot yoga, I'm the first dripping on the mat when, you know, you're doing a workout. I'm already wiping off the sweat during the warm up. So, so I, I was always kind of a little bit worried uh, about that. And, and I'm, you know, I'm a science journalist. I, this is my bread and butter. And I happen to know that, you know, sweating is one of the kind of evolutionary superpowers that humans have. And I wanted to get to know it a little bit better to find a little bit more serenity rather than shame. Um, but there's sort of two other reasons too. Uh, I, I moved to Germany where uh, people sweat for fun. Everybody goes to the sauna. And I was like, you know, why would you have it as a hobby? <laughs> um, and then I, you know, there's such a delight in the catharsis. And, and when you are in a sauna, I swear everybody's pouring. Um, and so there was kind of something uh, calming about, well, A, being in a sauna, but also just not having any shame whatsoever. Mm. And then the last reason is, uh, I, as a science journalist, you get press releases all the time in your inbox, some of which you do not read. <laughs> but one day I got a press release that said, um, new product, artificial perspiration, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, uh, I was like, I produce certainly enough sweat. Why would somebody have to make like a synthetic sweat mimic? And people pay for this. And so, yeah, I, I had to dig into that too. So maybe um, people like us could be sweat donors then if there's a need for artificial sweat, you know? Got plenty of it here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little side hustle. Right, right. Forget plasma. The new thing to donate is sweat. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, so you mentioned hiking and hot yoga. What are some of your favorite ways in the fitness realm to get sweaty? So I also, I do like to run. Um, I like to listen to podcasts while running. <laughs> so this is my, uh, my, my, the beautiful combination uh, for me. And then I also do, I have become uh, one of the spinners of the world. Um, I do like spin classes. And then I, um, I also like a hit, like a good high intensity interval training workout uh, just to get my crazies out. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I, I like to kind of mix it up. Nice, nice. Yeah, so you mentioned um, sweat being an evolutionary superpower, and um, I was surprised to learn that, that humans, they're, they're not the only animal to sweat, but one of the few. So tell us a little bit about that. How is this our evolutionary superpower? Right, okay. So um, the first thing is, you know, overheating is a terrible way to die. Mm -hmm. Like heat stroke, 
um, is something that uh, can happen to any animal. And obviously, the way that we have managed to work around that is to uh, release water onto our skin, which evaporates the heat away. Um, and so this is called evaporative heat loss. And it's actually um, extremely efficient uh, as a way to cool down your hot core. So effectively, when your body gets the like, oh my God, overheating temperature directive, it pushes all your veins to the surface of your skin, um, which is why people who with light skin turn red, um, because suddenly there's a whole bunch of veins right up at the surface. And those veins uh, both supply the sweat, um, because sweat is just the watery parts of blood minus like the big red blood cells and, and immune cells and platelets and stuff like that. But then it's also all the remaining blood rushing by is coming from your hot core interior. And as your sweat is cooling down the surface of your skin, that is cooling down the blood rushing by that then brings cooler blood to your interior. Hmm. Um, and part of the reason this is so efficient is because humans are hairless or, or reasonably hairless, right? Um, as anybody knows who's had a, like a sopping wet of hair, it's not very easy to evaporate that, that water away. It's much faster on skin. And if you like think about like a dog, a dog cools down by panting. And it's the same thing. It's like evaporation of saliva off of its tongue hmm. that is helping to cool um, its interior and its tongue is the like most naked part of its body. <laughs> and so humans, right? We're mostly all naked. Mm -hmm. And because we have this like huge surface area off of which we can evaporate sweat, um, we can cool down while like working out while running. And so, you know, in the heydays of our, you know, early evolution, if you're thinking about like our predators and our prey, both run faster, both can sprint faster than us. But so imagine we were chasing, a, you know, a, a prey, it would sprint away, right? But eventually it would have to stop to cool down so it didn't die of heat stroke. Meanwhile, we could run and keep running and cool down while running to catch up, mm. at which point it would have to sprint and then we'd catch up and sprint until it was so weakened by a heat stroke that it would die or be easy to kill. Mm. And so like the modern incarnation of that is marathons. We can run marathons. Um, and so it is really this wonder um, of our evolution that allows us to live in all sorts of environments. You know, when it is too cold, we can put on the pelts of other animals or, you know, a really good uh, down jacket. Uh, but when it's really, really hot, we can just strip down and, and we can live almost anywhere in the world. Um, and that's allowed us to, or helped us to dominate the natural world. Well, for better or for worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. I, I was chuckling so many times during that while you're talking about all this, I can just see um, all that. And I love you saying that the marathon is the modern day incarnation of, you know, hunting for that gazelle or, or, you know, yeah. that wildebeest. Um, so, you know, when we're out on that run Tish and I have talked about this, that we both just can be out running with a pal. We both have um, best running friends and, you know, that we're relatively the same fitness level of this person, you know, going the same speed in the same conditions. And yet each of us are just absolutely drenched, dripping with sweat. And, you know, the, the, the person we're running next to is, you know, barely, you know, has a couple beads on her brow. So why is it that different people sweat at different rates? Like what's up with that? So let me close my window. <laughs> um, sorry. This um, is a secret answer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It is a secret answer. <laughs> um, so first thing I would say is like solidarity. Um, that is also me. Um, the, the real answer though is this kind of fascinating mix of nature and nurture. So some of us uh, are just sweatier than others based on our genetics, right? Um, first of all, humans have between two and five million sweat glands. Um, so maybe you're on the higher end of that. Um, we, by the way, I got mine measured. I have three million. Mm. Maybe that's too TMI. Um, <laughs> but I, I was, I'm sort of proud. Um, but uh, the other side is, of course, flux, right? Like how fast your sweat comes out of your pores, um, how quickly you respond to the temperature directive to cool down. 
And then the other side of it is this really interesting um, nurture part. So when we're born, we're born with all of our sweat glands um, that, that we have, but they're not all active. Our sweat glands only get really active in uh, our toddler years. And in those first years of our life, um, our body is learning about the environment uh, around it and kind of catering, um, or this is what uh, several scientists are, are working to, to really suss out, um, catering to the you know humidity, the, the temperature ranges of, of where we live um, to kind of teach you know our sweat glands, okay, you know you need to be super active or maybe you don't. Um, and so there's this way in which uh, it's a mix of nature and nurture. but also um, you know athletes uh, have a tendency to sweat more than the average person. Um, because their bodies have learned that when they are going to do exercise, um, it's not going to be like a little sprint to the corner uh, to catch the dog. It's probably going to be, you know, hours and hours of heavy labor. And so their bodies often sweat sooner and more voluminously um, than otherwise, uh, because uh, they have learned, their bodies have learned that oh my God, uh, here she goes again. <laughs> we might as well get this like cool down um, operation going. That being said, there are of course some athletes who are super duper efficient, right? So everybody's sweating all the time. Um, even if they do not look like they are sweating, if they are just um, appearing to be, you know, <laughs> with barely a sheen on a very hot summer's day it's just that their sweat glands are releasing sweat at like the perfect rate of evaporation so that there's no loss um but everybody's always sweating at the same time and so yeah it could be uh, based on your genetics is the rest of your family members also kind of sweaty <laughs> sweatier than usual or it could be you know where you were born and then moved to um, or it could be, you know, an aspect of your training. So um, there's not like a concrete answer, but there's a, a whole variety of, of reasons out there. And certainly, you know, the biggest myth is that um, that I, I like to fight is, you know, people who sweat are not in shape. There's mm -hmm. this ridiculous notion that, that, that it's somehow a metric of your fitness level. And that's just BS. <laughs> I actually thought the opposite, uh, that the, the, that your sweat rate changes with this meaning like the fitter you are the more you sweat did I make this up exactly make myself feel better <laughs> yes well that is you know that is one of the trends but you know as we know it's not universally true for all amazing athletes right like there's some some athletes that do sweat more than others um but yeah it the more you train the sooner you have a tendency to sweat because your body is like oh dear here she goes again <laughs> um but also it's interesting people who go to the sauna regularly um say that uh the same happens to them. So even though they're not doing a fitness routine in, in the sauna, their body again has learned that, oh my God, she's going into that hot room. <laughs> we should start sweating sooner so that on, you know, just a normally warm day, um, their floodgates open and they're like sweating excessively on, you know, what would otherwise be, you know, just a slightly warm outdoor walk. <laughs> you telling all this, I just completely was flashing back. I grew up in suburban Connecticut in a house built in the early 1800s that my parents didn't get central air conditioning until well after my siblings and I moved out of the house. And I just remember being bathed in sweat as I would lie in my oh, childhood no. <laughs> bedroom with like no breeze, just, I mean, I'd get lightheaded when I stood up because it was so hot. And I'm just like, now I'm thinking, thank you, mom and dad, for like acclimating me to the <laughs> <of> sweat. <laughs> um, so I want to know why it seems that seemingly similar parts of my body sweat differently. Like, why does my left arm sweat way more than my right arm? And because I have the pet theory that it's closer to my heart, but I was also an English major, so I don't know anything about science. So... Um, that might be what I would call a sweat confidential. <laughs> um, so people, when you write a book about sweat, uh, people tell you the weirdest things. And this is like really not on the, on the like spectrum of weird. This is like pretty, yeah. pretty solidly normal. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Like, you're, you're welcome. You know, I'm glad to validate your sweatiness. Um, 
Yeah. So people sweat have, have weirdly um, different zones of extreme sweating. Like I remember this one woman told me that her partner um, sweat so much underneath his knees that he would actually wear antiperspirant um, so that his pants wouldn't get wet in the summer because he was kind of like, it was like a weird place to have a sweat patch, right? Um, so, and, and like, for example, the people who uh, offer their armpits um, to science for deodorant tests, like, so when a deodorant, you know, promises to be functional for, you know, 48 hours or 24 hours or whatever, um, there are actually people who do the sniff tests mm. and um, in order to be able to be the subject right the one the person who's trying out the deodorant um we have two armpits so one is like the control wearing nothing and then the other one is the one wearing product but you have to be tested prior to be even uh, being allowed as a subject to make sure that um, you sweat the same amounts from both armpits and that, you know, your odor is the same <laughs> intensity from both armpits. So, so, I mean, this speaks to the fact that we are weird and wonderful and I think we're kind of speckled, right? Like, so, so <laughs> some of our bodies are sweatier than others. And, and actually there's this uh, really uh, odd, um, researcher uh, in Russia at the turn of the 20th century named Victor Minor, who is obsessed with exactly this. And he developed this funny technique where um, he would take iodine, uh, a solution of iodine, which is like purplish brown, and he would paint it on people, um, his subjects, so that they kind of looked like they were wearing a really cheap spray on tan, mm -hmm. which probably didn't exist at the turn of the 20th century, but whatever. Um, and then he would like powder them with cornstarch um, once the iodine dried. So, and then he would put them into a sauna. And so they would go in being like covered in this white powder with a base layer of dried iodine. And when they would start to sweat, the sweat would dissolve the iodine and percolate out, creating this very beautiful contrast um, <laughs> between the white of the cornstarch and, you know, wherever people were sweating. And he took all these hilarious, uh, weird time-lapse photos of people to like, understand you know whether there was a universal place where we all begin to sweat whether there is you know a, a place where everybody was denser sweaters and effectively he found out that you know we are a beautiful mismatch of you know <laughs> different sweating patterns <laughs> oh my goodness that must have made for some great photos <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, so so talk please about the process of breaking a sweat, um, because I think as any runner knows, the first mile or two of a run is often feels brutal for for several reasons. And I'm convinced a biggie of this is because it takes a while to break into a sweat. And like today, so today I ran for almost seven miles and, you know, I knew I was going to be recording this. I'm like, okay, I'm going to notice when it is. <sighs> and at that moment, it was about 1.24 miles in. And right before I break into a sweat, I feel like a cherry tomato dropped into a hot frying pan that mm. I just am ready to burst and let my juices out. And then, and then, and then I um, stopped at 1.5 to switch from listening to Lord to listening to an audiobook, And I was drenched by that point. So in just a quarter mile, like sweat just streaming down my face. So like, what is that process of, of, you know, producing those first droplets and then the floodgates maybe opening in my case? Well, I think that that's just, you know, your, your biology uh, responding to the the near bursting of the cherry tomato. <laughs> I, like, you know, if you're feeling that hot, you're feeling like, you know, your body is like, oh, crap, she's, <laughs> she's at it. Um, and then, you know, here's the thing, though, the directive to start sweating um, is this like incredibly complex um, message that goes down your spinal cord and gets dispatched to all the sweat glands around your body, which are like millions of them. And, you know, at some point, uh, you know, they, they, the floodgates open, right? And there has to be kind of a, a feedback cycle uh, where it's like, okay, we're, we've like gotten this temperature um, under control, but she's still exercising. So <laughs> we need to kind of find a sweet spot where, you know, we're not completely <laughs> 
dumping all of our water. <laughs> and, and, and quite honestly, I think that um, our bodies uh, are not very, like at least my body is, is not super good at that. Um, but I do notice that when I run, the same thing happens, although it happens a little sooner. Um, <laughs> like initially there's this like huge flux, but then there's kind of like an equilibrium that's reached where, you know, the, the flow is coming down out, but it's not, um, you know, out of control. Mm, mm. And then of course you stop and your body is still trying to figure out what the heck is going on. And you're like, I'm not exercising anymore, uh, but your, your floodgates are still pouring. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and because you're not exercising anymore, your body's not as hot. And so the water accumulates instead of evaporates. And so you have this sense that you're, you know, just completely soaked. Um, and that again is kind of like the process of re-equilibration to, you know, back to your normal, like, you know, base state mm -hmm. of, of sweating. So yeah, I, it, it's hard though, right? You, by, by starting a run, you're kind of screwing with your body, right? <laughs> You've spent like, you know, the previous, I don't know, presumably eight to 12 hours, you know, not, not doing much physical activity. And then you're like, let's bust a move. And your body's <laughs> like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> So you mentioned earlier um, a guy who like sweat behind his kneecaps and like I know that feeling uh, as as a as a middle aged woman, perhaps um, I have broken into a sweat all over my body, like my feet and back of my my knees. And this my question, actually, though, is um, does our sweat rate change during different life stages? So, you know, this is a group of this podcast goes to to mother runners. So we've got women who've, you know, been pregnant, who are pregnant, post-pregnancy, perimenopausal, just, just do, do we sweat at different rates in our different life stages? Yeah, I'm pretty sure we do. I mean, this is me speculating. Um, but like, if you just think about, you know, a, a pregnant woman, uh, of which I have been, um, like, you are not only responsible for keeping your own body cool, but you're responsible for, for making sure this like growing baby is also not overheating. And so you're doing double duty. And I like I thought, that I sweat a lot more in my third trimester. Um, also, you're like carrying a big <laughs> weight around, right? So you're doing exercise just by like trying to move around. Um, I often get asked about menopause um, because of course, you know, there's these, these heat flashes, right? And um, there's a lot of really fascinating uh, research that's being done about heat flashes and or hot flashes, sorry. Uh, and by the way, um, this has been like a super neglected area of research, uh, as have a lot of areas of research that relate, you know, only to women, um, <laughs> because of the patriarchy. Uh -huh. uh, but um, the the thing with hot flashes is uh, what causes the rise in heat. Um, that's a really interesting area of research that people are still trying to figure out. But the reaction of sweating because your body temperature has suddenly spiked, that's just, you know, normal sweating reaction, right? So, so the, the really interesting stuff about um, hot flashes uh, is still being understood uh, and still being studied. But effectively, everybody I've spoken to has said that you know, you're just sweating because your body temperature has like noticed that it suddenly spiked and it's got to cool down somehow. So um, I'm thinking about, you know, you talking about that you're, when you break that sweat, that it's not as kind of immediate in that quarter mile that I had. And I sometimes think that's because of how that it's, it's not humid here in Portland, Oregon. It doesn't feel like what someone who grew up on the East Coast thinks of as humidity, but it is much damper out here. And um, I remember one time I was running with my business partner, Dimity, and um, we were up near Seattle and we were um, wearing these new tech shirts that I think we were testing for a magazine or something. She's like, this shirt doesn't work. I mean, look at it. It's drenched. And I'm like, oh, wait, you think stuff actually dries immediately? Like, cause she's from Denver. So, you know, sh oh. shirts work <laughs> like that. The, their evaporation <laughs> takes place. And so I don't know, is there any difference in sweat based on like how um, the moisture content of the air itself, or you just, it just sucks that I, you know, look like I have rivers flowing down my face because it's, not, uh, it's not evaporating. No, you're actually, you're, it, there is a, uh, 
an, an impact. Um, so if you are in Denver or any really, really, really dry place, um, you will evaporate your sweat away faster. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't know if you remember your high school chemistry, but there's like all this like equilibrium reactions. Mm -hmm. um, and if you can imagine that in a really humid place, that means that there's already water vapor mm -hmm. around, mm -hmm. right? And so if there's already water vapor around, it makes it harder for your body to evaporate off the water because there's no place for it to go. I'm like talking like extreme humidity, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you think about that on a spectrum in a place like Denver, there is no uh, water vapor <laughs> in the air practically. Yes. Uh -huh. And so, um, and so there's this like equilibrium that, you know, like it, it, it makes it easier for that water to, you know, just go up off the skin, but then get whisked away mm -hmm. very far away, leaving more space right at the surface of the skin to, you know, evaporate away off um, the, the sweat. And actually that's why dogs pant. So if you think about a dog, like they open up their mouth really, really wide mm -hmm. um, and they've only got this little tiny surface to cool down, right? Their tongue. Mm -hmm. And so what they're doing with every breath, and so they're panting, they're brushing that really humid air that has just evaporated, right? All the saliva that's just evaporated the heat off their tongue. Mm -hmm. When they pant, they're blowing it away mm. to make room for drier air that can then accommodate more water oh. evaporation. And so that's the whole panting process. So they don't just open their mouth and then like let evaporation happen. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> um, to like, push the wet air away and like allow dry air, which makes it easier for more evaporation to happen. Uh, I am sorry that I just panted uh, on your podcast. <laughs> it was very evocative and we all picturing our dogs doing that. So yeah. that was good. That was good sound, sound visual. Yeah. Um, so now here's what I want to know after a run in the summertime, right? Every runner knows this feeling when you look down at your black shorts after a really hot, sweaty run and, and you see those like salt salt stains on your shorts um please tell me you know what i'm talking about because otherwise i would feel foolish <laughs> yes i do i was just playing i'm like how long do i have to be silent before she gets insecure no i'm kidding i don't, do not i'm not a i'm not a cruel person but, yes i know but, exactly but not so much on a on a winter run and i can still be sweaty on a winter run but it's like that salt in the summer so so what's up with that so I think that has uh, a lot to do with just the fact that you're sweating more during a summer run than a, a winter run. Because so remember that like the actual stuff that sweat is, is the watery parts of blood. And we are like an ocean inside. We are salt water. But in the process of evaporating, like this cooling process, we only need to evaporate away water. We don't need to evaporate salt. In fact, it doesn't evaporate, it stays behind. Um, and actually, you know, fun fact, your sweat glands try to save salt. So like the concentration of salt in sweat is actually lower than the concentration of, you know, salt in all the wet parts of your interior, like your, your blood and whatnot, because your, your body knows that A, salt is important and B, um, we don't need it for the cool down directive. So your, your sweat glands try to, to save some, but obviously anybody who has like tasted sweat um, knows it's not a super efficient salt saving process. Um, but I think what's happening to you in the summer is you're just sweating more. And as a consequence, you're, you're losing obviously more water, but also more salt. And that salt has nowhere to go except to stay on your skin and on your pants and, you know, and, and anything else that you yeah, are wearing. And so, yeah, and, and some people um, are better at saving that salt uh, than others. And, um, you know, there are people who are super salty sweaters and, and you know, you can tell on their t-shirts right they're always like this crust of mm -hmm. of dried salt okay so then um let's talk about after the run and replenishing uh salt oh. levels <laughs> i know you know this is a very controversial topic <laughs> there um you know uh, as runners we really go for our sports drinks um uh so tell us about that uh what do we lose when we sweat what how do we replenish it 
Right. So obviously uh, you don't want, you need to replenish uh, your electrolytes. That's uh, definitely um, a, a true fact. I am super mercurial about sports drinks for a whole lot of reasons. Um, mostly because uh, it is physically impossible to drink anything that's salty enough to replenish your sweat. Like, I mean, as I mentioned, like we've all tasted sweat, right? Can you imagine drinking a whole cup of that? Um, <laughs> no, you have to add so much sugar to make even a fraction of your salt lost through sweat palatable that, you know, you're just downing a huge flat soda um, that's a bit saltier than usual when you drink sports drinks. That, I mean, that's what dietitians, like a dietitian actually described a sports drink to me, which is not to say that people, like I'm not a sports, I'm not like a body policer or a like, what do you like to drink after your thing? Um, like I'm, I'm, you drink what you want to drink. But um, I get a little bit concerned about sports drinks because the sugar levels are so incredibly high that it just doesn't make sense to me to, you know, consume that amount of sugar for the very minute amounts of salt that it delivers. And, you know, most um, research points to the fact that you need to replenish your salt by eating mm. um, rather than through the liquids that you drink. Um, but obviously, you know, when you're running or doing some very intense like race or a, a really intense um, a game, uh, you might want the sugary pep. And, you know, to me, uh, you know, sports drink might be a, a good way to get that sugary pep. Um, but in terms of as a replenisher of electrolytes, I'm very skeptical of it. And, and actually, there's like a great book. And if you haven't in interviewed the author Christia Schwanden good yeah. to go yeah yeah mm -hmm. um she you know she takes uh the debunking of this myth to a whole nother level mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but yeah I mean drink what you want after you you've exercised but sports drinks are you know chock full of sugar that is counterproductive to, to you know general health and then also weight loss if that's also one of the reasons you work out mm -hmm. um under the auspices of giving you electrolytes back, that just seems like a scam. Yeah, so, so you mentioned electrolytes. So that is something then to think about. So you, you probably know like, like uh, what are they called? Like endurolytes for electrolyte pills that have some combo of um, uh, potassium, magnesium, salt. Mm -hmm. uh, and are those um, helpful uh, as replenishers? Right. Um, I think if you are, so there are some people who actually lose so much salt that um, they feel physically bad and, and it's hard, like that it they, they, they impacts their performance because they, they don't feel well. And, you know, I think if, if that's uh, like, that's you, then I, you know, definitely um, take uh, a salt booster like that, if that feels right to you. But, you know, for most people, for most athletes, it's entirely possible to get your, your salt back through food. And I personally um, am more of a, a fan of, of eating than taking, than taking pills. Uh, so yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> no, I mean, we have like, I sometimes if I do a lot of exercise, or if I have like a, an epic sauna day I I just want the salt and I've actually you know speaking of you know salt pills I actually secretly went into a spas restaurant and like grabbed one of their salt shakers and like put some salt in my hand and like licked my hand once after like an incredible because I just need it like I used to like salt 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 um so like I think if that if, if you your body tells you to do that then you know go for it but yeah I think for for most most athletes most people you can you can consume the the salt that you need through food I have to say that when I ran uh um, the rock and roll Nashville half marathon. It was in April of 2013. It was 
temperatures were way too hot for April and in the beginning part of the race and there wasn't much shade cover on the race course. And, oh, God. and at the um, beginning of the race or, you know, like a mile three or four, I saw um, spectators handing out just little salt packets. I'm like, mm, who hmm. the heck would take a salt packet during a race? And then by like mile 10 or 11, I was just scanning the spectators being like, where are some salt, <laughs> give me, give me. Some, some salt <laughs> smackers? Like I, and I took it and, um, yeah. And I have, um, Tish, the year 2012, when uh, Boston got so hot, when it got in the 90s and you opted not to do it. And since I'd flown across the country, I did run it. Um, I had taken some salt packets just from like a McDonald's mm. or, you know, a Wendy's or yeah. something and carried them with me and just chewed that little and swallowed the little bits of paper. And so I could get this, out so, <laughs> um, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures, but um, so, but I love that, but that's like, you know, that's in a race, right? Yeah. Like most of the time that we're working out and, and, and we don't, we're not doing that level of, yeah. of impact of to our bodies, right? Yeah. 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 That many hours of um, on the pavement with no trees in sight oh, or, God. or trees that don't have any leaves on them. Thank you, Boston and April. Right. Um, so, <laughs> um, okay. So let's move a bit outside the realm of exercise. Cause we all know that we don't just sweat on a run. For instance, my most recent was um, I was drenched, profuse perspiration um, while taking my 15-year-old daughter on a recent driving lesson. Um, and um, is there a difference between the sweat you sweat on a run versus that nervous sweat that I was drenched in? Um, like, do they smell different? Is their consistency different? Um, so yes, 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 yes. <laughs> uh, so there are two ways to uh, open the floodgates. Uh -huh. um, one is like obviously temperature control, um, uh, which is like there are heat centers all over your body. But then there's also hormonal um, control of sweat glands. And so when we're afraid um, or anxious or kind of in a heightened state of, <laughs> of awareness, um, that's another way to mm. kick open the sweat glands, right? Mm. Um, any Anything that would like cue adrenaline. Mm -hmm. And what's really interesting is, of course, uh, we actually have two kinds of sweat glands. So like up until this point, we've been talking about like the salty sweat, mm -hmm. but, you know, we all know about what happens at puberty to our armpits. And that's actually an entirely different sweat gland. It's called an apricine sweat gland. And it only becomes active um, during puberty, wherever hair grows. <laughs> so, um, and, and and the sweat that comes out of apocrine glands isn't salty, wet stuff. It's not sourced from blood. It's actually very kind of waxy. And it comes from, um, you know, a different source. And, and it's more similar to kind of like earwax than, than, you know, the other kind. I'm sorry, this has gone very gross. But you asked. Um, no, we're good with this. Runners are good with gross. This is really Yeah, true, true. Uh, and... Uh, and it's actually not, um, you know, for so generally the like the the, the odors that we produce um, from our armpit, uh, the sweat when it hits the surface isn't stinky at all. But our bodies are covered with bacteria. Mm -hmm. We have this microbiome that we've all been learning about, and um, the ecosystem of bacteria and other microbes living in your armpit love that waxy sweat from the apocrine gland, and they eat it up. And in their metabolism of it, they produce the stinky odors that come out of armpits uh, starting in the teenage years. And so like, it's kind of good news, bad news in the sense that like, you know, your sweat doesn't actually really stink, but then uh, bacteria poop, poop is why I'm, you smell. So like, I am you know, so I don't know, you take that from- I'm so delighted you brought that up because I was like, oh, we didn't ask a question about the bacteria poop. I'm so glad you covered it anyway. But, Thank you. But anxiety yeah. uh, is super interesting too, because in that whole odor of like, so we all, you know, have a body odor of some kind, um, but anxiety has a, a certain top note to use the wine world. <laughs> um, so law enforcement people um, have often like noted that when people come in for interrogation, they all have their own, you know, body odor print, like everybody smells a little bit differently. But 
after they leave the interrogation, everybody leaves smelling the same of this like really mm -hmm. stinky um, odor of anxiety. And uh, chemists have been trying for ages uh, to figure out what molecule that is um, for a whole bunch of reasons. Like the military funds research on this because you can imagine um, a, a group of soldiers in a tank, if one person got anxious and start produces, starts producing this odor, um, you know, it might spread fear amongst the other people in the tank. And so they kind of want to figure out what it is and how to capture it. You can imagine more dystopian applications where, um, you know, it's dispatched on populations to make people fearful. Um, so there's a whole lot of interest in this odor of anxiety and, and even strangers. So some researchers have done this experiment where they get study subjects to wear a, a t-shirt and then they uh, show them one of two videos. One is like a BBC nature documentary <laughs> about Yellowstone National Park. And then the other one is a scary movie. And um, they save the t-shirts. And so people have either, you know, sweat normally or they've sweat out of fear. And when those t-shirts are given to uh, a panel of, of sniffers, um, people can distinguish, oh, this person is scared and that person was not scared. So there is some like way in which um, we communicate through odor that we are afraid. But the research on this is pretty nascent. And um, but yeah, there are a lot of different parties who are very interested in it. Mm. Hmm. This is all really, really so interesting. We could go on all day. <laughs> um, and, and as I mentioned, you know, runners are by and large are not as afraid of sweat as as like most Americans might be. Um, mm. And you talked about this earlier where there are parts of the world where, where sweat is like valued or even admired or sought after. Well, I would say that, um, well, I, 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 I would say that every culture at one point or another um, almost that I could have tracked down has had, you know, some sort of sweating ceremony um, in their, um, you know, embedded in their culture at some point. So, um, you know, the indigenous people of Americas uh, have sweat lodges. Um, the uh, Koreans have Jim Jilbangs, the Japanese have Sentos. Um, the, there are her moms in the, the Middle East. Uh, there are banyas in Russia. There are, you know, saunas in Finland and across Europe and, and the Western world. So I, I do think people crave a sweat. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that there is sort of um, uh, a recognition that, uh, you know, it can be uh, cathartic to sweat, right? Like after you have a really great workout or after you have a really great sauna session, you feel good. Um, but I do think that there is a lot of stigma um, about sweating profusely. And, and I know that people who have um, medical conditions like uh, called hyperhidrosis, where, where this is like very extreme sweating, like, you know, it's hard to hold a cell phone, for example, because it slips out of, of your hand. That's how sweaty your hands are. Um, that people uh, with hypo hyperhidrosis experience stigma ar around the world. And so what I actually think is that humans for some reason like like to compartmentalize sweat right <laughs> like it's okay if you're in exercise clothing or running or in a sauna but we we like to stigmatize people um or maybe we don't like it we do stigmatize people um for sweating in places where we don't think it's appropriate um and and i don't like that and you know part of the reason i you know called the the book the joy of sweat is because i kind of just want to like get rid of that stigma you know regardless of how much you sweat it's just your your body trying to do its thing um and so yeah i i would like to push it back against that stigma well i think we have to end on that note that no matter how much you sweat it's just your body doing its thing that's the quote we're going to end on, Sarah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sarah, that. this is a delight talking with you. Thank you so much. I encourage everybody to go out and get a copy of your book, The Joy of Sweat, when it comes out on July 13th. Um, Thank you so much. Yeah, take care. You too. Oh, obviously, it's her name because I just adored her. Um, 
That was so much fun. And, and, you know, when she was talking about like having her sweat glands measured and she found out she had 3 million, it kind of made me a little competitive. Like now I want to go find out. And then, but then I was like, well, do I want more or less? Like, how do I win? (laughs) Oh my gosh. A competition. You don't know how to win Tish. Now we've served it up to you. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Well, we um here at another mother runner, it is a it is a uh, banner week. It is a big week for us. We unveiled our um new website has the same name, anothermotherrunner.com, but we used to have three websites, anothermotherrunner.com, trainlikeamother.club and motherrunner store. Well, we combined all of them, put them under one Bammerbrella, as Dimity likes to say. And so you can have a single checkout when you purchase, um, whether it's a sassy tea and a trucker hat with a half marathon training plan or a hoodie plus a nutrition program or our love the run you're with program, which comes out later this month. Um, so much easier to navigate. Everything's more transparent, spelled out. I, I know that another mother runner can sometimes be a hard thing to kind of wrap your arms around and understand what we're all about. We hope this website does that. So please um, head over to anothermotherrunner.com and check us out and let us know. I don't know if you find some typos or something seems confusing, um, maybe tweet at me at SBS on the run. And again, I do want to give a shout out. Tish put together most of these questions. So thank you, Tish. You are a gem to have as a co-host. Thank you. Um, Our podcast today was produced in Portland, Oregon by Alex Ward from Sounds Like Pictures. Many happy, sweaty miles. 